This is See Africa, Breathe Africa, a weekly podcast made to bring Uganda, Rwanda, and the Democratic Republic of Congo closer to you. It's moderated by a travel consultant and cultural tourism expert, Miha Logar in Rwanda, and an Afrofusion musician, Joe Kahiri in Uganda. See Africa, breathe Africa. The world is willing to pay For the kind of things you take for granted every day We sell them in the duca down the road Just a dollar in the duca down the road We sell them in the duca down the road Half a dollar in the duca down the road See, around the world they pay so much money Just for a jar of unrefined honey The stuff is selling in the wheelbarrow box But you have no idea how much a pineapple rocks The laughter on the streets and the stories that are told A free experience that is worth so much gold And so, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls We begin another episode of See Africa, Breathe Africa The song that I played for you right at the beginning is called The Duca The Duca is a shop, a shop that you find typically in every corner of every African town, every neighborhood has like a little shop where you can go and get like a little, some half pint of milk or a loaf of bread or a bit of convenience. It's our version of the convenience store. And um, you don't really need to look very far in any African town to find one of these. But this song basically talks about how Africa's resources are sold like they're being sold in the duka. We, we don't appreciate our resources like they're, like what they're supposed to be. And as a result, hey, Africa is rich, Africans poor. It kind of ties in with today's topic, which I will hand over to Miha to introduce us to. The number one thing that we want to do today is to add something very important to the topic of the previous show that was about the secret history of Africa. Because lo and behold, one of our members has written in and asked a deep related question. We keep being impressed by the interest of our people. Uh, We don't want to be your typical travel show. And even though we are going to be talking about driving in Queen Elizabeth National Park today, in the majority of the episode, we are opening with a thought-provoking question. Traveler's question. It's crazy how many African countries are insanely rich with natural resources and yet can't live like, let's say, Norway after they discovered oil back in the 1960s. Is it because their natural resources are in the hands of foreigners? Kahire, the stage is yours. The stage is mine. I do think that when we answer this question, especially for Africans and Ugandans and and Rwandans and Congolese people living in the Gorilla Highlands region, I think that we also need to take a bit of responsibility for where we are, uh, for the things that we've gotten wrong, and um, maybe that can also help us to see where things could be gotten right. I'll start by agreeing with the question. I think that Africa is insanely endowed with so much natural resource. And I've seen 
people come to Africa with almost nothing and make fortunes out of it, while Africans who are living here still remain none the better for it. So there's a couple of reasons. One is I think that with with resources, you need wisdom. You need wisdom to govern and administer and grow resources in the right way. And I think that we haven't exactly been wise in our governing of resources. So many times, as soon as resources are put in the hands of you know Africans, then they're squandered. Then there, there are many heartbreak stories of people who've tried to invest with their people and. Um, it hasn't really turned out well. We're always uh, squabbling about things. We can't seem to agree with each other. I find it problematic that we are so locked into adhering in a community culture that it sometimes holds us down. For example, when I look at a country like Uganda or, or Congo or Rwanda, it's not just one nation. You can't really call that a nation because much as we are trying to forge a nation out of what we are, we are, some of us are very different, so different from each other that, I mean, you could have as well be Spanish compared, like when we start to compare our, our ways and the way that we talk and the things that we value and the way that we think and our ways of life, you're divided by a boundary. So they're Banyarwanda, they are now grouped along with Banyankole, who are the people from, you know, from Western Uganda. They are grouped along with Baganda, who are the people from Central Uganda. They are, they are lumped along with, with Acholis, who are the people from Northern Uganda. But they are more akin to the people who are across the border than they are to the people who are within the border. And we try to pretend that we are the same people. But the truth is we're not the same. And it comes, it comes up very very clearly for example when we start trying to do things like elections a lot of our elections are people just vote along the tribal lines so to speak because every tribe wants to see their tribesmen on the on the you know at the highest point when the president is appointing ministers for the cabinet a lot of people are more concerned with oh we don't have a minister from northern Uganda. We need a minister from central Uganda. We need. It's not about how good are these people at managing. It's about where do these people come from. And the, the trouble I find with that is that then you have a situation that suffocates talent. Same as the distribution of wealth. People are not rewarded according to their ingenuity and how well they're doing what they're doing. The person managing it is managing it because he's related to so-and-so. So then he doesn't have the experience necessary. He doesn't understand what he has been entrusted with. He doesn't value it, doesn't have the ambition for it. All he knows is, I'm here because it's my right. My favorite example of that is the unofficial motto yeah. of Uganda, because we have the official motto, yeah, for God and my country, and the unofficial motto, forgotten my stomach. Uh -huh. I wouldn't say that it's even tribal at the base of it. It's pretty much personal. It's about my family. It's about my clan. Like the idea of the nation is relatively weak. It's more about what can I get for myself and my people. Wouldn't you say that's because we're not really a nation? I would say that 
The problem is actually deeper than that. Right. I think it's fun fundamentally about trust. It's about the idea that other people around you are also going to be working together for a common goal. That idea is, at least in Uganda, missing. Rwandans are much better at that. They have this national ideology, you know, we are pushing together to achieve something to a much higher degree than Uganda, not to mention Congo, where it's even worse because of all the years of conflict and chaos and all those things. So when everybody is mostly concerned about what they are getting for themselves and their families and clans, then it's very easy for foreign powers to take advantage of that. Like, I would yeah. be... I would be very uncomfortable with pointing fingers at any foreign actor here, unless it's Congo. But when we are talking about Uganda and Rwanda, two relatively organized countries, it's basically all in the hands of us, Ugandans and Rwandans, and it's up to us to allow others to bribe us. I, I think that the foreign meddling cannot be totally discounted. However, I think that the reason why you are very correct in saying it's up to us is because there is nothing that they could do without the help of the actual Ugandans, without their complicity in the matter. If there is somebody who is willing to take advantage of whatever cracks they are, to press their own advantage, and you know that these cracks do exist, then you rather have them on your side because if they don't work with you, they will work with someone else who is opposing you. Absolutely. And an multinational is definitely going to be looking at how to bribe instead of how to contribute to the national economy first. Right. It's just the, it's just the way the system works. It's unfortunate and should be changed from within because we are, at least theoretically, independent and can change, you know, can change the rules of our countries. Right. I also would like to add another aspect, the concept of the poverty of the mind, you know, that we, that we, we live in an abundant environment, but it's our thinking that doesn't let us take full advantage of it. We think Absolutely. that we are poor while we are not. I know that when other Africans come to Uganda or Rwanda, they just look around and say, wow, you guys, you have everything. Everything is green, so much water. This is paradise. Well, people born here don't appreciate that. And instead of using local resources, they cry for things from abroad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you listen to... Uh, hear this strange Slavic accent and you wonder why am I talking about we? Well, <laughs> I've been around for 20 years, I have a Ugandan passport, I'm a resident of Rwanda and I love Congo and I feel part of it and I yes. want it to be better. And that's also why, that's the reason why Kahiri and I are doing this together with our friends from around the world. Today we are going to be joined by Moses Turinawe to help us with the question that is coming in. But let me just allow Kahiri to get us into that zone. We are absolutely blessed to have Joshua Leonza on the podcast today, asking us questions about the experience that he's going to have at uh, Queen Elizabeth National Park. And as we do every week, the voice of Santa Barbara has a story for us. 
In southwestern Uganda, the grunts of mountain gorillas come astonishingly close to the roars of tree-climbing lions. Less than two driving hours from the rainforest of Bwindi lies the savannah of Queen Elizabeth National Park, the country's top safari destination. The only national park that can possibly compete is Murchison Falls, but that one's located far away in the north of Uganda. Queen Elizabeth National Park is defined by its location in the Great Rift Valley, a gigantic series of trenches that start in the Middle East and end in southern Africa. Just as a geologist would expect, the flat lands of Queen Elizabeth, dotted by lakes, rise dramatically into the Ruanzori Mountains in the north and the hills of the south where the escarpment offers spectacular views. The heart of the national park is a heart-shaped peninsula called Mweya, where the world-famous boat safari takes place, also known as the launch trip. Elephants, buffaloes, Uganda cobs, and other savanna animals populate the plains that turn into the Maramagambo Forest and the Chambura Gorge on the other side of the park, the home of the chimpanzees. Finally, there are explosion craters, some filled with water and some without, adding another distinct feature. It's a lot to take in with the almost 2,000 square kilometers or 800 square miles of your game-filled playground. In this episode, we will be guided through Queen Elizabeth National Park by Moses Turinawe, the current tourism warden of Mgahinga Gorilla National Park, who started his conservation career right here in the savannah, serving for 12 years. In the podcast show notes, you'll find the stories that he's written, further expanding your knowledge and understanding. And now, straight to our live questions and answers, a service we provide to our members every Tuesday. Joshua, I would like to say that if you do feel like you have to ask or say something that you wouldn't want everybody to hear, we do have a privilege, and it's called incognito. And incognito means that we are taking this off the record it won't be in the podcast it will only be among the people who are there for the live session so you can just say it is incognito 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 just for you thank you so much thank you so so much so joshua you had a question for us and this is your time Maybe tell us a little bit of your situation, where you are. We find it absolutely fascinating that a Ugandan slash Rwandan who currently lives in Berlin has reached out to us to help him explore the Gorilla Highlands region. It's a privilege and an honor. Yeah, I'm so, so happy to be part of this podcast and also to just hear wisdom and knowledge about the region. I am so privileged to be both Ugandan, Rwandan, European and now I consider myself a world citizen just like Miha. But what is interesting is that um, I have been to some of these places myself, went with a group and you know everything was arranged. I did not have any input into it and now a time comes where I have friends from, um, from Germany who are asking me, Josh, we would like to come to your country, we would like to explore the Golira Highlands, we would like to see, you know, the animals, we would like to understand the Batwa people. Well, first of all, I need to admit that I've already upended his plans. Uh, his German friends wanted to see Murchison Falls in the north of Uganda, but their time frame is so short that, that we have convinced them 
that Queen Elizabeth National Park in the southwest of the country, much closer to mountain gorillas, could be a better option for them to do some savanna than do gorillas and much more. Yes, and they liked the, 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 the idea. It seemed realistic. It would really shorten the distance, you know. So it, it, it was a really, really good idea. So when I pitched it to them, they immediately bought into it, and that was really nice. Now, it left me with the challenge of, you know, organizing the itinerary. How do I make sure they get to see as much as they could and at the same time uh, utilize the one-week period that they will be around to, 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 to really have fun? We are going to help you with that as much as we can. Uh, but what I felt was the biggest, let's say, uh, thought at the back of your mind was the process of you being the driver through the national parks you've never seen with your eyes. Wasn't yes. that like the number one concern you had? Because I, I, I am really afraid and scared of, not scared, but really afraid of knowing where to go and how to maneuver. And, and going by your, your recommendations, I was actually thinking, should I... Uh, drive uh, down to the national uh, to the to Queen Elizabeth, and in there find find a tour guide who would help us maneuver uh, through the park. Uh, but then where do we where do we want to sleep? I don't know hotels. They have not been to hotels like in the near, and all these things. Um, I have to really uh, plan them beforehand, and that's why I was really really happy that um, you're 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 stepping in to help. Turinawe, you have years of experience in their park. You've you probably seen a number of people who never did anything like that before and found their way through. Could you maybe open this conversation? Yeah, thank you, Miha and the team. I want to assure uh, my brother who <laughs> left us that he's fine. He can maneuver and get through. Uh, because... Uh, we have uh, clear trail tracks. If you take a track, you know where it can lead you. Uh, having a guide is okay. And uh, he said he has only, they have one week and they want to uh, visit as much as possible. Uh, in Queen Elizabeth, I will just spot some few uh, things that you should not miss. If it's a good day in the game drive, at least you can see uh, I can say about 70% of the, of the animals in the national park. Uh, then uh, the boat ride in the afternoon is amazing. It is an easy way to see animals in a close uh, range without even going to, to suffer because you are seated in the boat and the animals just are there by the water drinking, others are praying, the print of birds, crocodiles, the hippos, everything. So, uh, those two activities are good and probably I would recommend if it's to stay, I would recommend because there are varieties of hotels, uh, both in the national park inside and outside the national park. So if you stay just on the edge of the national park, uh, for example, on the escarpment, evening at the hotel where they will stay, they would also enjoy part of the entertainment from the locals around there. Then, uh, that day would be gone and the night. Uh, the next day, you would drive to Ishasha. That is the southern part of Queen Elizabeth. 
which has the tree climbing lions. Uh, that one, I would also recommend a game drive there. And the best time to do that game drive is the afternoon. So if he leaves Queen Elizabeth in the morning after breakfast, he would be able to do that in Shasha. That is the after midday. So you can have they can have a drive in there and then proceed at, and have an evening or a night in Windy uh, for the next day of Gorea tracking. Inside the national park, you you get a guide uh, at twenty dollars, and then the guide sits in your car, and then you drive along with the guide. Uh, that the, the guide knows all the places and even where the animals can be. If you still need more, then you can do another uh, round of game drive. In maybe another area, you can do the crater area. You can go to Katwe. Great that you bring this up. Lake Cattle was the source of an enchanting part of our history. People walked all the way to go and get salt. It was a butter trade type of system. So if you are in southwest Uganda, which is the Chigezi region, um, a kilogram of salt would be about worth a goat. If you are in the Buganda region, which is like central Uganda region, then it was worth about three goats. You can see people wading across the waters above the surface they're carrying salt but they're submerged all the way up to their chest um here's another fun fact women are not allowed to go in there because you know the salt might enter them but also men when they go into the water they have to wear a condom you know for the same reason to keep the salt out and it is also because it is outside the national park i can also interact with the fishing community still you can do Lake Cutway, you do the crater area and the equator as well, because when you get the, you do the crater area, you come out at the Queen's Pavilion. Uh, it also has some historical information about uh, the Queen's visit and how the park got its name or uh, something like that. Then you, you reach at the equator for posing on the sign for, photo, for photograph. That's in Masaka. No, 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 no. We are talking about the other equator. You're going to, you're going to pass one as you go down towards the west of Uganda, but the equator then crosses the road once more, and that is in Queen Elizabeth National Park. So, wow. any and, and and the one in Queen Elizabeth National Park is much less commercial. Like especially if it doesn't suit you to stop close to Masaka, you can tell your friends, "Let me show you the more cool equator." I mean, it depends on your choice. Yeah, and I want to also add one fact: our Turinave actually spent a lot of his years in Queen Elizabeth exactly there at the Queen's Pavilion, and we have a story from. Moses that talks about it was about racism, right? Didn't you learn how didn't you get bonus points because you're one of the few <laughs> rangers who actually treated Ugandan guests as good as white guests? That place has in my memory I remember it so much because that is where uh, my chances of promotion came from. I was there as a guide, I was there as an information clerk. And uh, I used to receive so many people. And uh, one of the guests that I hosted there is the one that recommended me for promotion. The good thing about Queen Elizabeth and kind of unusual is that there is basically a tarmac road connecting the big towns of Barara 
and Fort Porto or Cassese in between uh, going through the park. So you just need to come on this tarmac road, for example, to the Queen's Pavilion. And when you want to turn, let's say, towards where the launch trip, the boat trip is, there's going to be a big signpost. And uh, Moses, when he comes to any uh, post of Uganda Wildlife Authority, in case he feels lost, I'm sure they can always give him that ranger to travel with him for $20 at, at, any, at any point of the day, right? True. Moses, I have a question. Would you uh, help us with um, hot, hotel reservation? Um, maybe you Google and see what is the best lodge. There are so many lodges, uh, both in the national park and around the national park. Or you can use your Micha, your best friend, also on the internet, who can maybe shortlist which places could work for you once you like tell us what kind of a budget you're planning per night we can easily recommend there's been an absolutely amazing mushrooming of accommodation around the park plus uh, uganda wildlife authority also has options right at the Moya Peninsula where the launch trip happens do i need to book uh, two hotels if i'm going to to see the north of um, Queen Elizabeth and also the south as you you have recommended or do I need only one hotel and then just drive back and forth? It is necessary because of the dimensions of the park that you have two different like you're not going to be making circles around one location you're basically going to two different locations and even more you're going to the third location which is in the Impenetrable National Park for your gorilla tracking. We had a story about the special feature of our region, and that is this extreme closeness of the savanna to the rainforest. Uh, just recently written by Marcus Westberg, our excellent photographer, and this is the exact place where this can be seen in practice, like literally less than two hours from the lion to the gorilla. And that should make it special. Bring that to their attention. You know, say, guys, now just observe the change of environments as we continue towards uh, the forest. So that tarmac road that goes through the park is also going to have a place where you branch off for Ishasha. That's not going to be tarmac, unfortunately, but it's an okay road. And all you need to do is, again, follow signposts. You, I don't think you turn even once before you turn into the park again. It has given me really more confidence to, to know where to go and to know what to expect. And I think this is much more better. And you are going to be supported. Uganda Wildlife Authority has stations all around where you can stop by, ask something, get help if necessary. Like an extremely accessible park, more than any other, and at the same time having so much to offer. But actually it's surprising, but you will find that 90 or even 95% of the local people in Uganda have not visited many of these places. Yes, and we are really hoping that with what we are doing right now, we can help make some others more confident to actually take their people or their families to national parks, because it's part, it's part of what we are trying to do, trying to promote 
this beautiful region to Ugandans, Rwandans and to Congolese themselves. Because many times they would rather go to any other place but to a national park with their own country. While at the same time, that country offers more than you can even imagine. I mean, we should actually say thank you for this question because there are thousands who would like the same answer. I wish to see you very soon in Uganda. And I want to assure you that these days, uh, Germans are even do dominating our statistics. Yeah, Germans seem to be very brave. They don't care about COVID-19. They are ready to explore. So we are grateful for their, for their courage. Do we also have the experiences we had uh, while at Edirisa uh, during the new year? Yeah, we are going to do all that for you, for sure. Awesome. I wish everyone that is listening to this podcast would actually have that experience. You know, the Edirisa experience? <laughs> that is one of the motivating factors that actually made me think of Edirisa. It's really, really, really a good one. Thank you so much for that. Uh, our mother organization, Edirisa, has definitely given you something that uh, you are still thinking, you are still thinking and talking about, and we are proud of that. I would just like to slot this in there that if you're listening to this podcast and it's still 2021, you really, really ought to consider joining us for our traditional New Year's Eve celebration with champagne and candles in dugout canoes. Think about it. It's a great way to go into the new year 2022. It's been quite a year, I would say. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, see, this brings us to another end of the episode. Sign out and hope that you learned a little bit and somehow through this podcast you can see Africa, breathe Africa and see Africa, yeah. See Africa, 